0: My name is Michael
1: Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 66th episode of Make Ours Marvel. If this were a Fantastic Four issue, we would have the first appearance of him, who goes on to become one of my favorite lower tier Marvel characters, Adam Warlock. But this is not a Fantastic Four issue. This is a podcast episode, and there is no Adam Warlock to be found, although there will be some Fantastic Four.
0: No, there won't. Next episode there will be, though.
1: Well, you know what? We're recording two tonight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to disappoint FF fans, but if you just tune in next week. It's yeah, because,
1: yeah. That's because um, him has like a cameo appearance in 66 and actually full on appearance in 67. So it still yeah. works out.
0: Yes, it does.
1: All right. That was not planned at all. Um, we <laughs> in the month of August 1964. And yeah. uh, we have three comics in line we're going to talk about from the second week of releases, <sighs> August mm-hmm. 11th.
0: Speaking of 11th, it's Sergeant Fury and his highly Commandos 11th,
1: or Whoa. number 11.
0: Um, I got the week, or I got, you know, time off for number 10, but I guess I'm back again for 11.
1: Okay, this it's, is a good issue.
0: It's my turn. It's actually pretty fun, yeah. It's actually more memorable than most of them, so I don't feel so bad about it. It's called The Crackdown of Captain Flint. And let me quickly do my, uh, you know, find the fun credits things. Two-Fisted Tail by x sarge Stan Lee, U.S. Army. Power-packed penciling by X-Corp Dick Ayers, U.S. Air Force. Inked by George Bell and lettered, lettering by Art Smek. I'm
1: going to correct you just for our Army people out there. It's X-Corp as in corporal.
0: Ex-corporal. Despite anything, it's not Green Lantern Corps? Corp? Anyway. Uh, the Green Lantern yeah. Corps ends in an S. That's right. Okay, It's French. D- and there's an asterisk that comes from somewhere. Uh, but it says, despite anything you may have heard to the contrary, CO means commanding officer, not chicken officer. I wonder if that's like an in-joke for the army or something. Probably. But anyway, it's called The Crackdown of Captain Flint, and it opens with um, um, happy, smiley, jovial Sam Sawyer screaming at Nick Fury. Apparently, he has been assigned somewhere else for once, so he's going off on a two-week mission to train new Howling Commanders, Commandos to create new troops that are as successful and awesome as the one he's currently overseeing and some real man-eaters coming along named captain flint he's warning nick that you know this guy's really by the book so you guys better not be your normal stupid selves you know and of course nick and crew are just like yeah yeah whatever and they go to train while they're off training captain flint flint shows up he's in like full dress officer uniforms or like Uniform with the button all the way to the top. Um, Immediately makes himself at home by screaming at everybody and telling them all what they're doing wrong. Um, He kind of wants to 10-hut like all the – I don't really know how the army works. But apparently there's different divisions all in the same army base. So he wants to inspect them all. And of course they all show up except for Nick's crew because they're out training. They don't even know that Captain Flint's there. So uh, Captain Flint has like that guy that we're not supposed to like. Uh, Bull McGibbs? McGiven or McGivney, something? yep. Bull McGivney. He has Bull McGivney go out to tell uh, Fury that, you know, uh, Captain Flint wants to see him. But, of course, Bull hates Nick because, you know, he thinks he's better and Nick is the competition. So he tells Nick, hey, and by the way, everything you've heard is untrue. This Flint guy is pretty laid back and cool. So just, you know, you don't have to do anything. So Nick shows up, for some reason, trust Bull, shows up to... Uh, flint's office in his like greens that just coming right off of a training session he's all dirty this upsets the by the book captain who screams in his face and tells him from now on you and all your howlers are going to live by the book so then it cuts to like days later all the howlers are now dressed properly not in greens but in like looks like you know officer uniforms or something like that with hats and badges and things um and nick gets called into the office apparently this is miserable for them by the way and he gets called in the office and flint tells them that they have a mission there are there's a convoy a german convoy that's like got important rocket parts or something in it and they're supposed to smash it or destroy it or kill it blow it up and they're gonna do it by the book by the book dang it and captain flint is even gonna go with them which does not make Nick happy because he's thinking to himself, "This guy is gonna like screw up our mojo, right?" Um, so they drag him along. He insists that they all wear full proper gear, which means none of them are wearing their patented like you know tell them superhero apart.
1: Offense.
0: Yeah, they're superhero outfits, but they're they're like patented. I never realized this, but they all kind of wear unique hats, so you can tell them apart. Most of them do anyway. So now they're all wearing the same army green hat. And on top of that, Captain Flint has his hat on with his captain bars. And everybody's really concerned that these captain bars are reflective and people are going to see us because this is the dark. So they they go by sub to this mountaintop. They climb across the face of it. They get up to the front. They're supposed to hide in the bushes and wait. Um, but a plane flying over sees the captain's, you know, glinting captain bars and starts shooting. And that makes everybody jump. It kind of ruins the entire plan. Captain Flint falls over, thuds onto a rock. He's out cold. This is kind of great for Nick because now he can take over. He tells them all to go back to being normal. There's a panel of them all changing to their superhero hats, basically. And then they start being howlers and blowing everything up. Essentially what they do is they blow up the first two trucks in the convoy. They kind of make them run into each other. And then they have Gabe, I think, dress up as a German and – make it look like a roadblock or an accident. And so he's waving the rest of the convoy to, you know, go to the left. And apparently because they're all Germans who obey orders blindly, they just go to the left and f- drive off the cliffs, drive off the cliff like lemmings. So like one, two, three, four, like five trucks, just drive off a cliff and die. So that was handy. Mission accomplished. They're going to go back down the mountain and meet up with their uh, a PT boat when, uh, but they have to, but Nick and Gabe stay behind to pick up and, I guess, haul the uh, unconscious Captain Flint. Before they can do that, one of the Germans survived the crash, is walking around looking all kind of messed up and befuddled, but he comes across a sleeping or a knocked-out Captain Flint. He's about to shoot him, but Gabe Gabe blows his awesome superhero trumpet, and that makes the guy's ears bleed, and he misses the shot. There's a scuffle, but then it turns out Captain Flint isn't just a by-the-book guy. He can actually get up and beat up a Nazi, so he does that, which... Uh, impresses highly, uh, you know, Nick, Fury, and Gabe. They all go running down the mountain together. They make it to the PT boat. They escape. On the boat, Nick's worried that, you know, now they're going to get called in because they went off mission after he got knocked out. But they never get called in. Nothing ever happens to them. They wonder what the heck. Sawyer finally comes back from his two-week, you know, mission. And he goes to, to uh, talk with Captain Flint. And he finds a Captain Flint who now, like... Has a five o'clock shadow. He's smoking a cigar. The top button on his shirt is unbuttoned. He doesn't even have a tie. And Sawyer's just like, wow, what the heck? Who are you? And he's like, yeah, it's me. I know. But you know what I learned being here? I learned that you don't always have to go by the book to be a successful uh, you know, person in the, this U.S. Army. And then he leaves. And Captain Sawyer uses that as an excuse to rip Nick a new one for ruining a perfectly good officer.
1: The end. So – I really liked this one. It's uh-huh. a pretty fun issue, but it yeah. has kind of a fatal flaw. Okay. I'd never been in the Army. Uh-huh. Um, my dad was Navy, so I have this concept of, you know, inspection ready and spit and polish and all this stuff. And um, <clears throat> But early in the issue, they set up the idea of being spick and span around the Army camp in their Class A uniforms. Uh-huh. I feel like that is a completely separate concern from being in the field, you know? And I feel like this should not be a hard concept for somebody who's even just, like, barely into basic training. Like, there's your uniform you wear that is pretty around base, and there's your uniform you wear that is out there in the dirt, in the, in the, in the field, you know? You want to have all your gear properly stowed, Mm-hmm. But you don't have to be pretty. So, are
0: you are you talking about the fact that he made them wear helmets and stuff on the mission?
1: Yeah. Also, that he himself is so concerned about his spit and polish appearance that he'll leave his gold bars on his helmet. Yeah. To glint in the in the moonlight, and it's just it's like no.
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm betting this probably comes from something because like we've seen enough, say Vietnam stories where like the officer who has no idea what he's doing because he's never actually been in the trenches. You know,
1: So you think he's risen up in the ranks but not actually had a lot of field work?
0: Because I don't – again, I don't really know much about military either. But I do feel like at least in the movies it tells me that a lot of times officers are guys who go to college or military school. Mm-hmm. And then there's the grunts who actually were out there and know that you shouldn't have your bars on your helmet because that's how you get sniped, right?
1: OK. I'll buy that. Yep. So yep. maybe that's what this guy is. I
0: don't that's know. That's what this guy is. However, that said, I kind of agree with you. I think, I think the one maybe detriment is that it's kind of weird to give this by-the-book guy, put him in charge of the Howlers when I feel like the Howlers are a very specific type of team mm-hmm. for the military. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe they're suggesting that the Howlers are a dime a dozen, but it, it's never been like that before. They always seem like the go-to team and like a bunch of superheroes, essentially, who can a- accomplish any mission. So why are you giving some guy who's like a dweeb like this control of that
1: because we saw in like the first or second issue and the howlers came back from a mission there was a drill sergeant who was drilling spit and polish you know you know uh-huh. seamed on the corner of your trousers you know pinky on the senior trousers kind of you know formality and then the howlers come in you know looking like a ragamuffin band of misfits
0: uh-huh. and the
1: sergeant's like you will never be half the soldier that they are right
0: yeah, so they've definitely told us that that the howlers are a very elite squad mm-hmm. for very specific, really dangerous missions. So yeah, it does seem weird. Like let's have him let's have him be babysat by a guy who isn't going to give him any breathing room to do what they do.
1: Now maybe um, Sawyer knew Flint from another time and didn't mm-hmm. realize how it would go. Yeah. Uh, maybe he just Flint had a really good reputation, and but it just seems. There, there, had to be a miscommunication somewhere because you wouldn't intentionally put this kind of rigid control on the howlers who do what they do because of how they are. Right. Um. That was my main note for the story. There are just a handful of little, little bitty bits that I saw. Okay. I don't know if, uh, what else you had uh, in your well, mind, but um,
0: I not till page nine. So if you got anything before that,
1: yeah, page seven. Okay. Okay. So um, Sawyer is. Or is that Flint already on base? Yeah, Flint's already on base. Flint is yelling at Fury, and the Howlers are leaking outside of his window. And um, Percy mentions the reg book. Mm-hmm. It's a book of army regulations, chaps. Surely you've all read it. Mm-hmm. And they say, read it? We never even heard of it. What's it say, Percy? And in my mind, I can hear Percy thinking, oh, crap. Yeah. Um, gotta fit in. I-, I-, I haven't the foggiest idea. <laughs> I never read it either.
0: <laughs> yeah. But you know he has.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's read it twice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. The English guy. Um, So there was a bit in my summary that I skipped because it kind of didn't feel like it flowed. But I, I actually do think it's kind of weird. I'm wondering why it's in it. But there's a part where, like, Flint is telling him, I'm going with you. And Fury's like, oh, gee, I don't know. That was a great idea. Or at least he looks sour about it. And Flint's like, well, what's the matter? You're just not used to Captain Sawyer you're used to Captain Sawyer staying behind and not going on missions. And then all of a sudden there's this guy, Colonel Parker, who's got a pipe and sunglasses so you know he's, like, a higher up. And he comes in and goes, well, actually – and then he tells, like, Captain Sawyer's resume, like, he wants to make sure we all know, including Captain Flint, that Captain Sawyer was awesome at some point. And mm-hmm. he, he just doesn't go on missions now because he was injured. But originally he, he was, like, the original Nick Fury. So, one, that's like a character development, because we didn't know that about Captain Sawyer as far as I know. No, we didn't. And, and two, um, I guess Captain Sawyer is injured
1: um, somehow. Yeah, probably an injury that he's healed from. He's probably not the lame Happy Sam Sawyer, like the lame Dr. Blake. <laughs>
0: right. um, that, that'd be a really <laughs> bad nickname for a CEO, I guess.
1: You're lame. Yeah, but... Evidently, whatever it was that happened kind of you know, kept him from doing such active service. We are actually going to get more detail on this whole era in a future issue. Cool. Um, that So we do get some backstory on this, and it's pretty cool. Because one of the things we said is that you know getting to these characters a bit more would be really great, right? Mm-hmm. So getting some backstory on Sam is, is good.
0: Well, it's interesting that he is like the original Nick Fury, and then they assign him the job of creating a, a troop of Nick Furies. And, mm-hmm. now, and now in this issue, he's gone because he's out making more Nick Furies. So, like, it's not just that they – yeah, I mean, we kind of already knew that Sam picked these guys for a reason and put them together. And we even theorized about that, why they have a mixed race and stuff in World War II. is because Sam didn't care. He just wanted the best, right? Right. Um, but now, now he's not only just picking them, but he actually has experience with what he's looking for because he's done it.
1: Now – in that same scene, the reason the story gets brought up is because Flint is thinking, "Oh, you used to be an operator on your own. Sawyer never went on missions with you, so mm-hmm. he's going to go." But going back to our interpretation of him earlier, I don't think he's going because he's such an awesome field officer. I think he's going as a power play. He's going as a control freak. Well, I can exercise authority over you and make you, you know, snap into line.
0: Yeah, according to the book, the perfect commanding officer sets an example for his men. Is his line on page eight? Mm-hmm. So it has nothing to do with, like, trying to be make a better mission. You know, it's I'm going to I'm going to show you how to do it, which right. is a weird thing to say to Nick Fury because he always gets it done. But OK, um,
1: I noticed the same thing you did that they were not wearing their usual clothes. Dugan was not wearing his usual shirt, et cetera, uh-huh. or his uh, or his bowler cap. He's has the actual um, <laughs> he's one rank below. Is it, he's one rank below Fury.
0: Yes, he's uh, I don't know. I don't either. He's got two chevrons, not three, whatever that is.
1: Is it Corporal Dugan, maybe? Is he maybe a corporal? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I did look at my ranks.
0: He's the only other guy with the thing on his helmet, though, besides Fury and Captain Flint.
1: Right, right.
0: The rest are all just, what, privates or something? I don't know.
1: Yeah, probably privates, and then above private is private first class.
0: Maybe he's a sergeant. Oh, Fury's a
1: sergeant. Fury's a sergeant. Three stripes is sergeant. Two stripes is something else. Oh, well. And probably one stripe is the standard or maybe no stripes. I don't know.
0: Yeah. But I love that panel on 13 where they all just like turn into Superman because Captain Flint's unconscious.
1: Yeah. It's pretty great.
0: Yeah. Wahoo.
1: Um, And then we save the day by teaching an incompetent officer to be more laid back.
0: Yeah. That actually was kind of creepy how he's trying to just look exactly like Nick Fury. (laughs) (laughs) Like slick back hair, cigar, five o'clock shadow. Everything is like, okay. Yeah. You really get into things, don't you?
1: And you would think in this particular war, Flint would have shaved that mustache a long time ago.
0: <laughs> That's a good point.
1: Yeah, like whatever the fashion was before 1939, <laughs> you probably want to get rid of that now. That's,
0: yeah, wow. I don't really think of that as an American fashion ever, but I guess it probably was, huh? Yeah, because of Stan and Ollie or whatever. Somewhere that to some one. people. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Okay, is that Sergeant Fury?
0: That's Sergeant Fury. Awesome. That was pretty fun.
1: That was fun. Sergeant Fury 11 is quickly followed by Strange Tales 126. Once again, the desperate human torch and the ever-loving blue-eyed thing become pawns of the deadly duo, featuring the menace of the mad thinker and the uncanny puppet master. (laughs) Um, Because they're a thing. Okay, so this is our ninth from the end um, Strange Tales story. And uh, oh, count down. yeah, yeah, awesome. uh, Tales to Astonish. Last episode is also ninth from the end. This story is written by Stan Lee, who's our inspired writer, Dick Ayers is our admired penciler, Paul Reinman is our desired inker, and Sam Rosen is our tired letterer. Aww. Um. Alright, so once again, the Thinker and the Puppet Master have teamed up. If they couldn't stop the Fantastic Four as a whole, maybe they can just kill the Torch. So the Thinker has a plan that's been worked out to the umpteenth decimal point, and Puppet Master is gonna make the clay figures, and they're gonna work together, they're gonna do it. So, um, Torch and Thing are hot rodding over to see their ladies, because they're gonna do their regular double date. It is a regular double date now, which is how the Thinker knew they were going to be there. Um, and uh, Thing is saw in logs. So Puppet Master tells... I'm sorry. Thinker tells Puppet Master, okay, make a puppet of the Thing and have it kill Johnny. So Thing starts killing Johnny and Johnny dies. And it's very sad. The end. Yeah. No, Johnny <laughs> does not get killed. He turns into the Human Torch, flames on, um, tries to get control of the car tries to uh, get away from Thing. He manages to not quite get hit. And the Thing, who's in the final um, commands, you must kill Johnny, you must kill Johnny, you must kill Johnny, the conflict in his mind of not wanting to kill Johnny versus being commanded to kill Johnny is so harsh that it actually transforms the Thing back to Ben Grimm, who is then, of course... Not the thing anymore. I mean, not under control anymore. Meanwhile, Johnny has fallen out of the car. He is falling down to the ground. So Ben Krim flies the car down, scoops up Johnny, turns back into the thing again. That was a whole thing that just happened, and now it's gone. Um, They go talk to the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards and Susan Storm, about the fact that the Puppet Master might be controlling them. Well, no. That something happened in the car that knows Puppet Master. Uh, Reed puts a hat on Ben this is the same hat that projected their thoughts onto the wall. And we got, like, the uh, scantily clad Susan Storm, whatever Reed Richards was thinking about her. <laughs> yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get on the wall, we get a scantily clad Puppet Master. And um, Alicia is so embarrassed. No, not really. But it is the Puppet Master. They realize the Puppet Master was controlling them. And so he's like, okay, I've got an idea. Y'all go play outside. I'm going to work on some science. So Puppet Master and um, Thinker are having talks trying to figure what to do next and Thing is like okay you know what I want you to go make another Thing doll Puppet Master's like can I just use the Thing doll no no make a new one but make it bigger so it's more powerful so Puppet Master goes and makes a bigger Thing doll and starts puppeting around except by this time Reed has created a new hat for the Thing he puts on the new hat and Reed uh, while Reed is Putting on, Puppet Master tries to control the thing, but the controlling efforts get to the head, get radiated back at the Puppet Master, who gets zapped in the noggin and falls to the ground, and Thinker's like, well, crap. The end.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you remember, like, the first appearance of the Mad Thinker, and I think his plan was somehow to, like, break up the Fantastic Four by giving them all different options that they all took up? Mm Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking at that point, like, I'm not sure how much of this he's controlling or he just knows is gonna happen. Like, did he make it so Johnny's weird beaten it cousin comes over to offer to start a turnip farm with him? Or did that just randomly happen and he knew it was gonna happen? And now now that I've read like three or four more Mad Thinker stories, I'm starting to suspect he actually has no abilities. Right. He's just the like, only- Hey, hey, hey John, go over there and punch Superman. I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain my plan will work and then they do it and it doesn't work. Right. That's his power. That's his power. It's weird.
1: Well, it is very weird. The, um, this seems to be the only planning the thinker did on this besides the strategy itself, but the only like scheduled thinking and, and taking in all the variables that he did was he knew when the double day would be. Yeah. Other than that, it's just like, he's just telling Puppet Master what to do. And he, and
0: he's got all these percentages of of likelihood it's going to work, but then there's no accounting for any of the variables that happen. Right. So that's weird. That's not really a
1: plan. No, it's not. He's really just like taking credit for being clever when he's not really being that clever. And Puppet Master's eyes are so big that he can't see it.
0: Puppet Master is in love with the Mad Thinker. Oh, is he? Oh, my God, he is. He was last time they did this. like... Puppet Master, ha- you know, usually when villains pair together, especially in the Human Torch stories, they always hate each other. Puppet Master's like, oh, I'm going to, you want me to help you? Okay, I'll help you. You want me to keep building things? Okay, I'll build things. I'm just going to listen to everything you say, and I have no ego in this relationship. Mm hmm. Unlike He's- most villainy, I'm just going to do whatever you say.
1: He's also, you know, taken by the opportunity to destroy the Fantastic Four. Mm hmm. He wants to do whatever Thinker says because he is the... Uh, Thinker is the dom in the relationship. And yep. uh, he also wants to give revenge of the Fantastic Four, so he'll do whatever, he wants, whatever the guy wants. Yep. Um, it's kind of funny. These I, I feel like these two are definitely more of a Strange Tales duo than a, F- a Fantastic Four level threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we said when the Puppet Master first appeared that he felt like a Strange Tales villain.
0: Yeah, oddly, I don't know in the grand scheme of things how highly regarded he is with fantastic four fans but i have not enjoyed him so far all that much no
1: his greatest contribution to the series has been alicia yeah he's only the stepfather
0: that's true and the dynamic with her loving thing and also like having a stepfather who's evil that could be interesting if they keep exploring it but like his powers are dumb and the thinkers powers are dumb so they're combining them together and now i'm scratching my head twice as much on how this stuff works
1: you ever get the feeling this is supposed to be like the young readers book, like the silly <laughs> comedy book? Yeah, it could be. I mean, the Doctor story is not really com- 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 in keeping with that, but this Torch story.
0: Uh. So there's like a. This is just a nitpick, but what page? Page five. Like the thing is attacking Torch. He doesn't know why. They go into a spin, and Torch thinks, "Strong as he is, my big buddy isn't much on flying." And I'm like. um... Actually, that's why he's a member of the Fantastic Four. You guys needed a pilot. Isn't he the best flyer in the group? Yeah, that's but weird. Yeah,
1: he's, he's already complained about it a few times. That he doesn't like to fly. That's like, weird. Yeah, it is weird. And Reed's corrected him. He's like, "Dude, you love to fly." And Ben's like, "Yeah, I don't tell anyone."
0: Maybe now that he only has three rocky fingers, he doesn't like to fly.
1: I, I will buy that for a dollar because <laughs> your hand's this big old clunky thing, and the you know airport I. I imagine airplane controls are pretty fine.
0: Yeah, try to press a button with those.
1: I liked the continuity with bringing back the the projecto helmet. Where was that from? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But wait, though. The thing turned into Ben Grimm. That's probably the biggest thing that happens in this story.
1: Yeah, so let's add this to the list of things that make Ben transform. Fighting off a hypnotized kill command against his friend.
0: Uh Uh-huh. But didn't he also do
1: that with... um, Rama-Tut or whatever, King original King concept? I think with Rama-Tut, he changed because he was in the sun for so long. I but thought that, it was
0: because they were mind controlling him. But yeah, well, you're right. I think it was a son, huh?
1: Well, the mind control wore off when he changed.
0: Right. Okay. So
1: the mind control wearing off when he changes, that's consistent between that story and this. But the thing that changed him is different.
0: Mm. I like this better. Like an internal struggle to not kill your friend somehow allows him to subconsciously get out of it.
1: I like that too. Um, I don't like that it like has a psychosomatic trigger effect, but I do like that you know, somehow his brain is trying to get him away from killing the guy.
0: It also suggests that he can control it somehow, if he could just figure it out.
1: If he could just figure it out, which I think bodes well for the future. Yeah. Um, they make an anti-puppet master helmet, which seems very handy, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if we'll ever see it again. I doubt we will. It's
0: a bit too handy, and that that was kind of a weird end for this, is like they defeat the bad guys without ever meeting them. So it seemed kind of anticlimactic, anticlimactic. How do you say that word?
1: Anticlimactic. Thank you.
0: Yes. It's like, are we never going to actually encounter these guys? (laughs) It's just over? Some weird zap and you assume that everything's okay. And on the other end, the thinker's just fine. It's the puppet master that's unconscious. Right. And then he's just going to get up and they're going to be fine. They're not going to go arrest him or anything. Kind of weird.
1: Well, both villains are going to get one more spot in Strange Tales, but not together. Okay. So um, in the next, what, eight issues, two of those are, one of them's a puppet master one of them's a thinker.
0: Um, Speaking of strange tales, let's just jump back to Sergeant Fury real fast, because last episode I was like, I want to at least read what the letter pages are called. So Sergeant Fury's letter page is called Tell It to Fury, Mm -hmm. and then this one's called Strange Males, as in M-A-I-L-S, not
1: M-A-L-E-S. I always love a dumb pun or, you know, rhyme. Works yeah. for me. Um, I think this is a little bit unusual. The last caption of the, of the Torch story
0: is mm-hmm. encouragement
1: to go read the Doctor Strange story. I don't think they've done that before. Certainly it's not a usual thing.
0: hmm Yeah, they're starting to own Doctor Strange a little more.
1: hmm Okay, should we move on? Yeah. We're just, uh, we're just trucking right along here. We this are. This is the fastest but, we've gone through books in a while.
0: But the next one's pretty weighty, so yes. that'll probably slow us down.
1: Dr. Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts in the Domain of the Dread Dormammu. Written by Stan Lee, Prince of Digitators, Illustrated by Steve Ditko, Lord of Leisure Domain. Lettered by Art Simic, Neighbor of Necromancy. Neighbor? <laughs> I did not look up neighbor. Neighbor. Okay, I gotta look this up. N-A-B-O-R. Is
0: that just neighbor misspelled?
1: Is it? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it's asking, do I do I mean Neighbor.
0: Maybe they're just trying to be punny. or Maybe they are just trying to be punny. That's kind of. They should have just spelled it right and it would have been funnier. That would be funny. <laughs> All right.
1: Okay. Um, and of course, this is a Doctor Strange story. He is portrayed on the Marvel Cinematic Universe films by Ben Shapiro Ganondorf. <laughs> and um, what we have here is Doctor Strange just finished up last issue's story
0: uh-huh.
1: where um, the Ancient One was captured, and he had to go like search all over the world for him while Brer and Mordo was chasing him. Finally found an Ancient One, got him all set up back at home. He's coming home. He goes into his body, and then there's a portal that takes him right back to the Ancient One again. And he gets there, and um, there is a spirit form menacing him, and he is a messenger from the dread Dormammu the most powerful of the dwellers in the realm of darkness. And Ancient One is asking Dr. Strange, you're gonna have to go and find out what he's up to because I am too old and too weary to stop him. So, Dr. Strange casts a portal and goes into the dark realm. Um, he finds this giant red monster surrounding a door. Um, he used as like some sort of test of will against the monster to be allowed in. Dormammu sees him on the, uh, the the cross-dimensional TV screen. He's entering his domain. So he's like, fine. The Ancient One must know that I can't be stopped, so he's not going to come. He's sending some underling. All I have to do is defeat the underling, and the Earth is mine! So as Doctor Strange starts find, uh, going through the dimension, trying to find Dormammu, he uh, faces a threat after threat. He faces like a, an animated yellow guy um, and uh, a carpet that like tries to suck him into it. Meanwhile, he passes by the hidden form of this white-haired woman, a woman who has heard of an ancient one who battled Dormammu long ago from her father, but anyways, so Doctor Strange keeps on fighting, um, the girl keeps on watching, I say girl, the woman keeps on watching, um, and I feel like that's basically the rest of the story. He Mm -hmm. never makes it to Dormammu in this particular chapter. He does run across the actual woman and talk to her briefly. And she's like, no, you can't go any further. Dormammu is going to kill you. He's like, I know. Um, So she's like, fine, I guess, you know, there's no one like Dormammu. You're going to lose whatever. And he goes and faces Dormammu. And we end with a dramatic ending of Mm -hmm. what's going to happen with Dr. Strange faces Dormammu.
0: The first DS uh, to be continued. Yes. So that was kind of a trip. I didn't expect that.
1: Yeah. Um, I know that later this series does have quite a serial feel to it, but I thought that was just for a particular saga. So this might be something that happens every now and then, but I don't think it's going to go like the Incredible Hulk just every month, one issue in, one issue out.
0: Well, when you're facing Dormammu, I'm kind of fine with it being a two-parter because he seems like a big deal.
1: It doesn't look as menacing as he will eventually look. No. um, Yeah, I'm definitely cool with this being a two-parter, spreading it out a bit.
0: It's cool we're we're getting to him already, though, because he is a name I'm familiar with when it comes to Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Doctor Strange has been using his name throughout all these stories we're covering because he always uses it as a spell cast uh, chant or something. So he taps into Dormammu's power in his own quest to, you know, be the Sorcerer Supreme or whatever. Um, But now we're getting the real man, the real guy, the demon, whatever he is.
1: Um so yeah, this uh, Dark Realm or, or Dark Dimension, whatever, it, it, that's basically its real name. It never gets any more interesting a name than that. It's just the Dark Realm, and hmm. Dormammu is the lord of it.
0: Um, the stakes feel higher because I think the Ancient One's lack of, of interacting with Mordo, Mordo, Mordo and stuff was more up by choice. Mm-hmm. Like I seem to recall him saying something like, well, I'm not going to kill Mordo or I'm not going to judge him or whatever. So then Dr. Strange is like, well, I have to take care of it then. Cause you're just sitting around being ancient and, you know, contemplative." But this, in this case, the ancient one's like, no, I don't even have enough power to deal with this. So you have to do it. Cause if you don't do it, the earth is, you know, going to be taken over. So it's like Dr. Strange is now stepping up to being the new ancient one, essentially. Right. In this story.
1: So, um, yeah, I am actually looking at that conversation. The Ancient One doesn't even ask him to do it. He's just like, okay, dude, we're in trouble. Door Mom is coming, and I can't stop him. And Dr. Uh-huh. Strange is, I'll stop him. And Ancient One is like, no, no, even I can't stop him. If you try to do this, I can't help you. And Dr. Strange is, I'll stop him. So he's just like, you know, stepping forth like the courageous uh-huh. knight trying to go forward.
0: Yeah. So we'll see if next issue, if that was foolish and he just dies.
1: Right. Now, um... I don't know how much Doctor Strange you know. Do you know who this woman is?
0: Okay, so I do. From definitely from a Marvel handbook, I have seen her image. I was racking my brains trying to remember her name, and I couldn't. Uh, but she ends up being like his girlfriend or something at some point, is not she? Right. Is this her name? Circe or Circe or something? Or like I don't know.
1: It has a C in it, which is probably why you're thinking that. But it's not. It's nothing like that. I should probably. You should probably know it if you're going to tag her in the post. Her name is yeah.
0: Cle- Clea. Clea. Okay, yeah. C-L-P-A. So that was that was probably the interest, most interesting part of this story. Is like he, used, we've we've seen him go into alternate realities and push his way through traps and demons and stuff. But here's this lady who's just checking him out, and I'm not even sure like why she's there. They don't tell us yet. I don't think why she's there. Is she a prisoner? Is she you know? Is this just where she lives for some reason now or what but she was intriguing so i hope we get more of her i assume we will
1: we are going to get more of her i am just kind of going through her lines to see if she says why she's there and she doesn't she's just no. in the dark dimension i mean i know why she's there but there's no reason to get into that until they tell us she's i just...
0: heard i have heard father speak okay so she talks about her dad but that's it really
1: that's all we know about her that's the only thing we know about her and Her dad is not really that important to her story. He does come back and have some stories, but he's only important whenever the storyteller decides to use him. Okay. Uh, He's not like like a character.
0: Okay. Um, Well, she's interesting. and This is the first, like, other than that one time when we thought he might have a girlfriend for one second, and then it turned out it went nowhere. Right. (laughs) We're getting a different character, so that's kind of cool. That's not necessarily a bad person.
1: The only other thing I had about this was that the Crimson Bands of Sidorak are used again mm-hmm. uh, on page five. I only mention that because that's actually like a one spell that like I have a connection to with another character. So um, it's kind of cool to see those show up. And yeah, there's just there's something about the story that was very dynamic and engaging. It's um, maybe more so than anything the strip has done before.
0: It's funny because he probably can't use Dormammu powers against Dormammu. So what's he going to do?
1: Yeah, he's going to have to call this hoary host of Haggath? Mm, or the yeah. uh, all-seeing all power of the vashanti. It's like that guy, that's my cousin.
0: Um <laughs> Yeah, Sordamamu is not in this anyway. I don't know if people care if we describe what they look like and stuff, but he I eventually I think of him more as a very large person with a flaming red face and stuff. Right. And he's more like just kind of a normal-sized dude. But he's got like a green outfit and his head is kind of just missing it's just like a flame of blue or something
1: yeah it's flaming blue instead of flaming red and i don't know if it's just his broader shoulders or what but he kind of looks a little squat like he's not very tall
0: yeah so but yeah it was to be continued so he must be amazingly powerful and we'll see what happens
1: and yeah the sky blue color of his head and the green color of his outfit is just it's not quite imposing
0: no he gets scarier He does get scared. Dormammu, I've come to barter. Or to bargain. (laughs)
1: Uh, All right.
0: But let's move on to the the big book of the night, I imagine. Yes. And I have to summarize this one, too. So, geez, my two least favorite things to summarize in one episode, guys. How fun for you. What? What? I love Spider-Man, but I find it very daunting to describe all the stuff that happens all the time. There's so much. You can't skip over anything because it like leads to something else later and it's kind of important. Um, it's The Amazing Spider-Man number 18. Only Mighty Marvel would dare to attempt such a tale. The End of Spider-Man, the story you never expected to read. Um, it's written by Stan Lee, author of the Fantastic Four, illustrated by Steve Gitko, illustrator of Doctor Strange, lettered by Sam Rosen, letterer of Patsy Walker. And it's called The End of Spider-Man and it starts with J. Jonah Jameson, so happy. Because if we remember last episode, or last time we talked about this, last issue, Spider-Man had to leave in the middle of a fight with the Green Goblin to go help his aunt because he heard that she had a heart attack. And so everybody just assumes that Spider-Man's a coward. So of course that makes J. Jonah Jameson happy. They then pan to like all his villains who all think, oh man, this is crazy. Green Goblin beat Spider-Man. I, I couldn't know that. How did Green Goblin do that? The Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and Daredevil are all questioning Spider-Man's moral character, because apparently it's not good to be a coward ever. Um, And, of course, the people on the street are just... That's just more fodder for them to hate Spider-Man, too. So they're kind of hating him. Uh, Somehow, J. Jonah Jameson's on TV to promote how horrible Spider-Man is and cowardly. Meanwhile, Peter is at home. Aunt May is at home. He's worried about her. Of course, he arranges for you know, Miss Watson next door to take care of her when he has to go to school. He's also concerned that they're running out of medicine and out of money. Um, At the school, Flash is still convinced that Spider-Man left for a reason and that he's not a coward. So, you know, he's kind of actually uh, yelling at all his friends. So I don't know if that's ostracizing him or not, but we'll see how popular he is. Um, Spider-Man, worried about money, goes to the Ace Picture Company and asks them if they want to make, like, you know, baseball cards out of Spider-Man or prints or something like that. And he's like, no, not anymore. We would have, you know, yesterday, but now you're a coward and nobody would buy them. So he's out of luck there. Um, Betty is mad at Peter. Now that Peter is not Spider-Man anymore, one thing he thinks is like, well, at least I can have a love life again. Or, you know, he's also feeling bad, so now he wants Betty's comfort, and he calls her, but she remembers all she remembers that she wasn't invited to the Spider-Man Fag Club get together, and then she assumed he wasn't gonna be there, but then she found that he was there and Liz was like combing his hair, so she hates Peter Parker, um, or is actually just devastated that he broke her heart. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson is still walking around his offices and stuff, super smiling. Everybody actually finds that horribly creepy. Um, It's
1: really frightening.
0: Yeah. Spider-Man has a moment where he kind of, like, thinks about all his villains and how he has to hang it up. Basically, he just, like, rethinks about the Amazing Spider-Man Annual that we already covered. Um, he sees Betty she runs away from him he goes to the like the da- daily bugle or whatever and uh, like tries to confront her and she runs away so he's like wow she really doesn't like me um, Then he goes to a science uh, place because now he's trying to sell his webbing that's another option you know he needs the money running out of medicine. Um, so they're all impressed. Like, wow, you can lift up that one ton thing with this little strand of web, but then the web dissolves and they're like, wait, why would we ever buy glue that dissolves? That doesn't make sense. So then he's like, ah, yeah, good point. Darn it. That's going to take me weeks or months to figure out how to make it not dissolve. So that's not going to help me immediately. So as he's leaving though, he comes across uh, 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 a Sandman and Sandman's like, oh, hey, I hear you're a coward. And he tries to beat him and Spider-Man's thoughts are, you know, I probably could beat this guy, but I just can't risk it, because what happens if he beats me? Then Aunt May's all alone. I'm dead, or, you know, unconscious, or jailed, or all kinds of things could happen to me, so I'm just going to run away again. So he runs away, and everybody sees him run away. Um, and he makes it around a corner, and he turns into Peter Parker just in time, and, and Sandman, you know, can't find Spider-Man, asks Peter where Spider-Man is. He's like, he went that way. Uh, the end there. So, uh, that, of course just fuels J. Jonah even more. He's on TV talking about you know, what a coward Spider-Man is. This cuts to the Fantastic Four. Johnny's furious. He's decided, no, this can't be true. I know Spider-Man. Yeah, I give him a hard time, but I know I've seen him fight bigger things than that Green Goblin fight, so there's no way he's a coward. Something's going on. So he flies. He just takes off, much to the Fantastic Four's annoyance, and he flies up and he writes in the sky, Spider-Man, meet me at our last meeting place. Which is the Statue of Liberty for those of you who have been following along with our show, uh, but Spider-Man doesn't because he's like, oh, I know what he wants, and I just can't do it. I got to hang out with with uh, 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 Aunt May, so he doesn't show, and that just makes Human Torch worried. Um, meanwhile, back at school, Flash is really just like not finding any support for this theory that Spider-Man is not a coward and he's feeling ostracized and he's like, you know what? So finally at some point he's like, I'm gonna dress up as Spider-Man and walk around and at some point crime will be attracted to me and then the real Spider-Man will save me and I'll show you guys that he's not a coward. Liz thinks this is crazy. She runs to Peter's house because any excuse to interact with Peter and she's crying and sobbing and he's like, hey, can you just watch M.A. and I'll go see if I can stop him or you know talk him out of it. What he really means is turn into Spider-Man and try and find him. So he's running around as Peter. Meanwhile, uh, Flash is running around as like a kind of baggy Spider-Man. He comes across three guys trying to boost a car. And he's like, well, Spider-Man doesn't show up. I'm at least, you know, I'm a pretty fit kid. I could probably take three guys. But he's wrong because those three guys start wailing on him. They find out he's, they figure out he's not Spider-Man or he has no powers. So they really start wailing on him. Um, Peter finds a uh, uh, Flash, but before he can do anything about it or he's saved by these cops who also find the Flash and they they arrest the bad guys and Peter's like, woo, I didn't have to be Spider-Man, that's great. And now Flash is like, boy, maybe Spider-Man really is what everybody says because he didn't save me from this beating. Uh, Peter tries to talk to Flash later. Flash doesn't want to hear it. He has this big old black eye and he's in a bad mood. Uh, then Spider-Man or Peter Parker's walking home when he sees that Betty is now with this guy they're talking about a movie they just went to and she's like looking really happy and stuff so he's like oh gee willikers I screwed it up with Betty too um then he goes home and he says forget the Spider-Man business throws it in the trash he's gonna he goes downstairs and he finds Aunt May's wheelchair empty and he's like, What's going on? Why are you standing up? She's like, Peter Parker, you should know me better than that. I'm stronger than I look. Sure, I look like I'm not stronger than paper, but I am, and I can take care of myself, and you don't have to be worrying about me all the time. We Parkers are tough stuff, and blah, blah, blah. And that kind of like inspires him to uh, realize that, you know, maybe he doesn't just have to quit at the drop of a hat. Uh, maybe he should push through all these problems. And so. At the end, he rips up J. Jonah Jameson's scathing, horrible, Daily Bugle paper about him and pulls the Spider-Man outfit out of the trash, puts it on, and there's this big splash page of I'm going to be Spider-Man again. The end. The end for now, it says. So I guess it was a two-parter. Well... Kind of.
1: Yeah, the third part is very much Spidey is coming back into action. Okay. and And it resolves the whole J. Jonah Jameson's happiness so it really does, you know, pin put a put a pin in this story. Okay. Um, I consider it a trilogy. I think it works as a trilogy. But anyways, what would you think of this?
0: Um, I think it kind of missed its point in the end or it got a little muddled in the end. Like, he wasn't quitting because he was being – I don't know. Like, Aunt May is like, you know, you have to be strong and persevere and stuff. And he's like, you're right. I should be Spider-Man again. But was that why he was quitting? I thought he was quitting because – he was being strong and, you know, not wanting to die and have her have her alone, you know. Right. So how did that get fixed? Like he just used it as an excuse to decide she's fine. Ah, she could stand up now. Whatever. I,
1: I think on 19 we see him coming to the conclusion that he says it should stop because okay. of being Spider Man is giving him so many problems. Okay. And then on 20 we see him sort of rationalizing it. That, you know, he can get a job. He can take care of Aunt May. He can, you know, finish his schoolwork Mm -hmm. and be like everyone else. So there's sort of two sides to it, I think. And she addresses one of them, which I think is honestly the the main part, is that everyone dogs Spider-Man and Peter so much that being Spider-Man causes problems for Peter. Mm -hmm. And he he shouldn't just run away from that. He should face it.
0: But, you know, it's funny because I didn't think about this. Not being Spider-Man causes problems for Peter, too, because that's his source of income
1: yes standing around not being Spider-Man they have no money
0: they have no money and that's a way that's not a great way for him to take care of her if they have no money so
1: this is very true and I go back and forth on the ending of this story Mm -hmm. because on the one hand I feel like he throws the costume in the trash and has it back out literally two pages later yes that was a little weird also I feel like throwing the costume in the trash would make a great beginning, you know, dramatic moment of the end of a story
0: or the beginning of this story or something. And then go through all this only to pick it out of the trash again.
1: Oh yeah. That would also work, but to separate those two somehow. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the best solution because my problem was, well, if he throws it away at the end of the story and he just pulls it back out at the beginning of the next, then it also feels a little bit like rush. Like, Oh, you resolved that one pretty quickly. Didn't you? Yeah. But if he throws away at the beginning of the issue, goes through all the crap confirming that he shouldn't be spider-man but then aunt may like convinces him he should i think that would work too
0: yeah so when i was younger like i think i've told this story or maybe i haven't but like i was a cap fan and my brother was a spider-man fan and my best good friend was a spider-man fan and his brother older brother was a Cap fan so there was like this team cap versus team spidey mentality sometimes <laughs> You know, and and fun, because I liked Spider-Man, too. I liked reading my brother's Spider-Man books and stuff. But, like, one of the things we would always poke fun at was, like, you know, oh, Peter's kind of whiny, you know, and gives up a lot. Which Mm -hmm. is to say that other heroes don't have crisis. Of course, Cap has given up. Or, you know, Superman or whoever. But, like, I don't know. I feel like Spider-Man throws away that costume more. Maybe that's just a stereotype way of thinking about him or a trope. But, like, he is really unhappy in this entire issue. He really is. Like – and sometimes I kind of feel like in a selfish way. Like we've talked about this idea before that Peter Parker, the teenager, isn't a great person maybe sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like why is he – you know, he treats Betty like crud. Obviously behind the scenes it's because of Spider-Man and his secret and stuff. But he doesn't usually like fix that with her.
1: And according (laughs) to the narration, it's been weeks. Right. But like he
0: lets her believe things – and let her lets her feel cruddy and his excuses in his thought bubble like I can't be at the same place at the same time as Spider-Man but there's no attempt on his part to like make her feel better yeah and then now now that he's down now that he's at his lowest point and he can't be Spider-Man anymore he's all about Betty and trying to get Betty on the phone because it's like oh boyfriend needs you now and she's not having any of it and I kind of was rooting for Betty like good, don't let him don't let him get back at you right
1: and at this point you know the the relationship from betty's point of view this relationship becomes a source of paranoia for her yeah like like she is scared of him betraying her again because honestly from her perspective that was a pretty big betrayal last issue it was she gets the story a little wrong here she did not actually Peter did not actually tell her that he was not going to the Spider-Man fan club thing. They didn't talk about it. She
0: purposely didn't invite him. She was supposed to invite him. To uh, go. Well,
1: Liz was supposed to invite him, but Betty wanted him to invite her. He nope. didn't because of Spider-Man. But
0: J. Jonah Jameson told Betty to call him to work at that thing, and she kept calling after hours so he wouldn't answer. Remember? Something like that.
1: Oh, right, 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 right.
0: Yeah. So but she either, way, yeah either way, he never said he wasn't coming. But still, it's right. pretty bad. He didn't invite her. That's her point of view. Is like you didn't invite me. I'm standing right there when you're telling me about this awesome thing all you and your friends are going to. You oh, don't. Yeah? And,
1: the, and the hot blonde is adjusting your tie. Right. Talking and you, about your 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 fan club.
0: And you not only don't invite me. Um, you know, I don't know if she knows I'm going to be there, but you're then there with her. So that's just a betrayal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, there's no yeah. two ways about it. So and then he doesn't call her for weeks. Mm-hmm. And then he calls her, and she does not want to talk to him. And she's had time to meet somebody else. So um, the somebody else, you know, that might not necessarily be their first time out together. Whenever she's getting calls from Peter and not wanting to talk to him, she might already be in the process of meeting somebody else.
0: And also to continue to let Liz manhandle him in front of Betty. Like the first time I gave him an excuse that he's a teenager and didn't know what to do exactly. Mm -hmm. But now you're continuing to do it. And I just feel like you're being very passive about. Your relationships or something, you know, yeah. like you're not taking control of them. And just probably doesn't make her feel good either. You're not making her feel good. Um, so I'm hoping this guy that she's with now makes her feel good. And she just never goes back to Peter because I don't want her to date Peter anymore.
1: <laughs> I, I like that. You don't know who this is because this is all new comics for you
0: because
1: uh-huh. I know who this is. And uh, that's an interesting statement you just made. It's going to ruin her life so one of the things I think that sets this trilogy apart in my mind is that it's not a trilogy centered around a particular villain plot. Uh It's not a green goblin trilogy. For example, green goblin was in the first part and sort Uh of, you know, messed things up or was doing the fight where Peter got the phone call. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sandman is here, but he's not really like the, the threat of the story. And then we're going to have the villains who are in the third part who are, you know, different again, kind of. Um, so it's like this is very much a trilogy built around Peter's character and the dynamics of being Spider-Man, mm-hmm. not around a villain plot or a villain threat.
0: Right. I mean, they sure cameo all his villains at this point, but.
1: Yeah, all the heroes get cameo, including, oh, my gosh, Jan.
0: You are yeah. not a gasp. <sighs> So, what'd you think of that? I was going to ask you, like, that's page two, right? What'd you think right. of the villain's interpretation of Spider Man? Like, part of me is like, you know, even if he was a coward, are you guys just jerky right here? Seems a little weird. Like, oh, he couldn't handle a fight? Like, he's not a real person. He makes superheroes look bad. It's like, um, okay, I guess. But.
1: Yeah, the Avengers are being kind of jerks about it, aren't they?
0: It's, o- it's okay to, like, have cowardly moments or lose fights or. You know, whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm too liberal or passive or something. And lo- Doctor Octopus. I love, is I love Daredevils. It's like, how could my super sharp senses of Daredevil be so wrong about? I thought he was valiant.
1: <laughs> my, my I guess, my evil sense works better than my hero sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Let's see. What else? How did? Oh, how, I was how, wondering. Oh, Doctor Octopus is in jail, but Craven and Vulture are not in jail. They all had the Sinister Six fight.
0: Yeah. So was Dr. Octopus,
1: the only one who's still in jail.
0: Well, okay. But in that fight, he's mowing through them to get the Dr. Octopus. So that's the only one he stuck around for, I guess. All Maybe. the rest of them woke up and walked away.
1: Well, they were all in jail together at the end, including Sandman oh. in a room with bars.
0: You're right. So that makes no sense then. They got out, I guess.
1: Anna Watson is called Anna Watkins in this, uh. but that's just a typo. She is Anna Watson. That's Mary Jane's aunt.
0: Is this the first time we've seen her? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had her mentioned before.
1: She has been mentioned a few times. Because uh, May has gone to see her, and when the power was out, she went next door and those sorts of things.
0: So why why is Jay Jonah on TV throughout this whole thing? Is that like his new medium? Or has he always had that?
1: Um, you know, he has the Now magazine. He has the publication. Um, I guess maybe he's getting interviewed a lot because oh. he was always right about Spider-Man. He's riding that train.
0: I could work. Yeah, he's just being interviewed because he was the only guy who was ever right about him.
1: Right. And it's one of the things that adds to the story because throughout all the scenes of the story, there's just this like undercurrent mm-hmm. or undercurrents of anti-Spidey and anti-Peter sentiments from various people. It's just sort of like underneath this entire story, like nagging at Peter. It's, you know, the reader can feel it. Mm-hmm. Random history tidbit. Because, you know, whenever I read something, it makes me think, hmm, I look it up. On page four, Liz wants to go out with Peter. Okay. And she says, by the way, there's a new Peter Sellers movie at the drive-in tonight. I've been dying to see. Mm. I did not know what a Peter Sellers was, so I looked it up. Pink Panther? Pink Panther. Yeah. The newest Pink Panther film was out in June of 1964, A Shot in the Dark, which was actually only the second uh, Jacques Rousseau film.
0: So they were probably still good at that point.
1: (laughs) Probably. But this, uh, this would have been going into early stages of production whenever that movie was out. So it makes sense that they would mention it.
0: I like when they mention real-world things like that. Even just little things.
1: Uh, he doesn't have money for medicine because insurance is still a weird thing right now.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Did you just have to pay out of pocket for everything? Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, there were corporate-sponsored health insurances, but it wasn't like it is... I mean... What it is now is not even like it was when we were kids, and what it was when we were kids is not like it is. the uh, The whole Medicare and Medicaid thing doesn't even exist until nineteen sixty five. So, um, yeah, a lot of people just pay for stuff out of pocket. Oh, also, neither one of them is employed. Well, yeah,
0: he's never had a payroll—that's for sure. A payroll. So they have insurance their work. Right? Yeah. He does mention they have savings, and I, I always go back to that first issue where he got, like, a year's worth of salary or something, or a year's worth. He could pay off the mortgage for a year right? off, off of that thing he sold. Like, I guess that never happens again because that was some pretty good money.
1: Yeah, he made a lot of bank from that first sale, and then just, like, he's just made pennies from every sale after that.
0: I guess J. Jonah Jameson was really excited about that first round and then calmed down just, a little bit.
1: He just starts, you know... <laughs> Clapping out on the deals after that.
0: Yeah. Because if every every picture session is worth a year's worth of mortgage, man, Spider-Man would be pretty wealthy.
1: Um, whenever the guys are arguing about his um, adhesive dissolving uh-huh. and not being worth anything, uh-huh. every time I've read that scene, it's made me think of Post-it notes.
0: Yeah. Th- these guys aren't trying very hard because like, I feel like even if they can't do anything with that particular product, He's willing to sell you how he developed it, and you could take it from there and do something if you wanted.
1: Well, interestingly, the the um, the Post-it Note guy who made Post-it notes, um, the adhesive that he had used had been, there was no application for it for six years. Like the guy who invented it came up with it six years earlier and was having trouble finding a, a marketable application for it. So in 1974, Arthur Fry invented Post-it notes. I thought Romy um,
0: invented Post-it notes.
1: Maybe. I looked at it. Say I said Sir Arthur Fry.
0: Ah, that was just a stupid joke based on a movie that maybe you haven't seen. Which movie? (laughs) Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion.
1: I have not seen Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion.
0: Check it out. It's pretty funny.
1: Yeah. It's one of those movies that I didn't see with my wife, and so I didn't see it. Okay. Um, But yeah, I like to think that Spencer Silver in 1968, when he made his adhesive, he's one of these guys in the room here. He took Spider-Man's idea. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, my last note, I think, oh, two, two last notes. Okay. Sandman, we don't know a whole lot about him as a person. He eventually becomes pretty sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And based on stuff that we eventually learn about him, I find it a little bit ironic that, because if Spider-Man had opened up to Sandman here, if he had said, <sighs> look, yeah, you know, It might have actually had an effect because you know down there, you know Flint Marco Mm -hmm. promised his sick mom that he would use his powers for good.
0: You know what's crazy about you saying that is, I actually thought the exact same thing when I was reading this scene. Oh yeah, like just tell him that you have a sick aunt and you don't want to risk your life because you're the only one who could take care of her, and I guarantee you, Sandman would stop trying to kill you right now.
1: Right, that would get it.
0: You don't even have to tell him who you are because every anybody could have a sick aunt. That doesn't really narrow it down. But like, yeah, that would so get him off your back.
1: Um, okay. My last note is the moment from Johnny on pages 14 and 15. Uh I kind of love that. Like he knows Spider-Man is better than this. Mm -hmm. He wants to find Spider-Man and communicate with him and find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. But it is, it is the scene that inspired my 30 year treasure hunt. Like, it says on Uh-oh. page 15 uh-huh. panel 2 the meeting place referred to by the torch was shown in Strange Tales annual 2
0: which was not part and of your not, collection
1: which was not part of my collection. The first annual wasn't even part of my collection. Like this is I actually as a kid who didn't know how comics work, I had to like figure out all those scenes that reference back to the first annual like what story are they talking about? What does it mean by what does it mean by Spider-Man annual? What is that? Yeah. But Strange Tales Annual 2 is a book I did not read until, I guess, 20-Year Hunt, because it was my, my mid-20s when I read it. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's a thing.
0: Yeah, I like this Johnny scene a lot. I like that he, you know, has loyalty for a guy that he pretends to not get along with, but you know they like each other.
1: At this point, he's almost like supporting cast for the book.
0: Mm-hmm, it's good. It was good last issue, too, when he was there to help with the fight, I thought. Yeah. Okay, Flash, your your plan is weird, because um, even if you're right about Spider-Man, what is the likelihood that he's going to find you being beaten to a pulp in a garage? You know, like He's not Superman. New York is big. And just because he didn't show up doesn't mean you're wrong about him either. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just very weird. It's a very weird plan.
1: Well, if they're all in like Forest Hills, because I guess they're all at home, maybe he just thinks, Sp- well, Spider-Man's over in friggin' Manhattan. They don't know that he's in Forest Hills. I don't know. I would it's a I, weird scene.
0: You probably already know the answer to this, but I would really like to see a story someday maybe in the 80s or 90s where they focus on why Flash is so obsessed with Spider-Man because it's one thing to like think he's cool and stuff, but this is getting on like pathological almost, you know.
1: Well, you know where he got the costume. No. The girls made it for him about a year ago.
0: Okay, but still like you know <laughs> like like yeah, he's just risking his life now to prove that his hero is
1: he is. He's real. Starts out honest, he, he thinks that he could actually be Spider-Man and redeem his reputation. Mm-hmm. It's only at the end that he's like, didn't Spider-Man come save me? Mm-hmm. Um, and no, Spider-Man did not come and save you. Although, ironically, we're talking about how Spider-Man couldn't have come and saved him. Peter was right there.
0: He was going to. Yeah. Luckily, he yeah. didn't have to because he didn't have his costume on.
1: Do you think that Flash got weird Doctor Doom flashbacks and he was putting the costume on?
0: yeah you think he learned his lesson right but no i did like the the panel where like all three of them are like punching him and his mask is askew and stuff because he's not really spider-man it was kind of yeah cool art right there
1: and then betty brant is dating somebody new well now like now i think i know who it is her.
0: since you told me it was somebody but oh, I, yeah but maybe i shouldn't say because we could just let the people guess if they haven't read this either but i have a theory now okay but anyway, well,
1: uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's everything I've got on this one. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Definitely a good story. We kind of breezed right through everything, but that's OK, because you know what it's time for? What's that? Top and bottom picks. Really? Did we go through a month already? Yeah. Last time we recorded. No, no, no. Sorry. Next episode.
0: No. Yeah, that was
1: too I easy. Knew it was, I knew it was tonight. Gosh darn it. Next episode is top <laughs> and bottom though. picks. Three more to
0: go, guys. Three big ones. Sorry. Really sorry, big ones. Sorry, kids. Yeah, this actually this episode is going to be like an hour, which is weird because that's what we used to try and do all the time until we gave that up. But I I think Strange Tales and Star Fury, there just wasn't a lot. But I think we'll make up for it because next episode is probably going to be three hours long (laughs) because
1: it's got some
0: really big books in it.
1: It does have three very important stories in it.
0: So, but yeah, that's it.
1: Okay, well, let me get the... um... Let me get the Twitters out here. You want to tell people where they can find us? Um,
0: you can search Make Ours Marvel in any of your favorite podcasting things, or you could go to makeoursmarvel.com where you will find links to those same things like iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. You'll also find links to our Facebook and Twitter, if you should choose to follow us in one of those ways. Um, if you like us on Facebook and Twitter, we thank you, which we will do in a second. And also on the site, you could email us with the contact form or just email us, podcast at com. We sometimes read those letters. And actually, this as of this recording, we released a uh, mailbag episode this week. So keep them coming and we'll do more.
1: All right. Well, we... Um we have recently been followed. I just want to say thank you to your support to Dan Rubinson, a comics and wrestling fan. Numba, my name is Numba. I'm a creative artist. Kyle, world-famous intellectual. Matthew Sanborn-Smith, writer of Strange and Wonderful Things, keeper of the Beware the Harry the Mango podcast. Beware the Hairy Mango podcast. Huh. Okay. And just today, let's talk Defenders. Here's where we talk about all things Defenders. Um, for whatever reason, their at name is Stalk Defenders. The huh. L-E-T of lets is left off. But I think that it's probably because of a shortage of letters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Your at name can only be so long. And over on Facebook, actually, while well, I'm bringing up Facebook, uh, what is what is their homework for next week? <sighs> Um, Spider-Man's letter column is
0: called Spider's Web. Just throwing that in there because I keep forgetting to tell you guys. Oh, yeah. And the homework next week is three more issues. We got Tales of Suspense number 59, which is kind of important because Captain America takes over half the book. We have Avengers number 9, which is the first appearance and last appearance, I'm sorry, spoilers, of Wonder Man. And we have Fantastic Four number 32, where someone heroic Dies and we are introduced to a man, the, a villain called the Invincible Man.
1: And I realized I went through all of the Twitters and I still have another episode to record tonight. So I'm going to fa- Facebook for next time. Okay. So um, you can find me on Twitter at John Reed's Comics. My other shows about Image Comics at All the Pouches, about um, Japanese superheroes that one day turn into Power Rangers at Silly Sentai, Transformers Comics and Cartoons at TFUK Podcast. And my tweet blog about the Scarlet Witch at Let's Talk Wanda. So those are all coming at you. I guess that wraps up the episode. Yep. So until next time, or until Dormammu's captive Clea replaces him as ruler of the Dark Realm,
0: make ours marvel.